This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with three-time world heavyweight wrestling champion Diamond Dallas Page. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark. Former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach. Where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Diamond Dallas Page, my dear, dear friend and real-life superhero, a three-time world wrestling champion, best-selling author, actor, TV broadcaster, podcaster, and founder of the internationally acclaimed DDP Yoga, shares his life and climb to the top of his profession and induction into the WWE Hall of Fame, giving us an inside glimpse into the mind and heart of a relentless, resilient champion who didn't learn to read until age 30, starting his wrestling career at age 33, and becoming world champion for the first time, the first of three times at age 41. You don't want to miss this episode. Oh, welcome to the show, bro. T- talk to us about growing up, your preparation, when you first discovered that you had an inherent passion for excellence in everything you did. Well, you know, I, I, as, as a little kid, you know, I was all about nine through 12, things came easy to me when it came to sports. And the two sports I love were football and, and hockey. And I mean, to me, I was going to be playing defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Giants. I, that was like my, my it was like a, a dream of, that I had as a 12-year-old, but I really thought I could do it. And then I walked out in front of a car. The car hit my right knee, my face bounced off the hood, and I flew 42 feet from the point of impact. That changed my life physically, but it also changed my life mentally because what happened was the doctors wouldn't let me play football or hockey anymore because they were considered combat sports. But they'd let me play basketball. Well, basketball was something I sucked at. So I didn't play. I, I didn't make the team in seventh grade. Eighth grade, you know, coming off the operation, I, I'd make the team, but I sat on the bench. And I had never sat on the bench ever. And I think this is where I really learned what work ethic really equals. Uh, over that summer, I made a vow to myself that I was never going to sit on the bench anywhere ever again for any reason. And over that summer, I played probably five to eight hours a day, every single day. And that next year, as a freshman at St. Joseph High School, we we went undefeated. I started the entire year, averaged 15 points a game. And the second year, my sophomore year, I ended up starting varsity. And uh, I had a heck of a run. And I realized that work ethic really does equal results uh inside take it all the way up to my hall of fame um my hall of fame ring inside it it says work ethic equals dreams exclamation point tdp so that's where i really started to realize that work ethic could really change my life okay so a lot of people they say uh well dallas had it easy or (laughs) someone else had it easy and you don't understand wah wah whoa me I had a horrible upbringing. My family life sucked. And so they use every excuse under right. the sun 
to explain to the world, especially to themselves, why they did not endure and put in the work and, and become successful. Take us back to your childhood. What was it like growing up as a young man? What Tell us about your family life. Well, by the time I was three years old, my mom was married, divorced, and had three kids. Uh, she was 19 at the time. When my uh, parents split up, my brother and sister went to live with my mom, uh, who in turn had them live with my grandmother, because she had to move up to North Jersey to try to make more money to try to help support that side of the family. Me, I went to live with my dad, um, you know. Why? Because <laughs> having a three, my grandmother trying to raise my infant sister, my one-year-old brother, and a three-year-old little wild man. The problem was my dad, he was a good guy, but he was a wild man back then too. He, he was only 21 years old. Back then he couldn't even spell the word father, let alone be one. So I ended up bouncing from one family to another like a pinball. Uh, on my eighth birthday, my dad finally brought me to live with my grandmother. Uh, because he knew I needed some family structure. And that was the last time I would see my dad or talk to him when he was sober over the next 10 years. So one of the things I learned, if you went to my, you were at my mother's house, they'd all be busting chops on my father. If I was at my father's, you know, my, his mother's house, uh, my other grandmother, they'd be busting chops on my mother. And it's something that, you know, that I learned at a very early age. Like, I don't really judge people. I mean, at all, unless they do something to me directly. I don't really, you know, from, you know, the, <laughs> watch the TV. They just, everybody is persecuted from the moment they think they did something or they know they did something, you know, through the news. I, I never let anybody influence me like that. If I wouldn't let my family influence me. I'm sure not going to let strangers influence me of how I feel about someone. And, you know, I learned that when you don't judge people, man, life is so much easier because there's always my story, your story, and then what really happened. And it just gave me a lot, it just made things a lot easier for me. Like people cannot believe how easily I will give someone a second chance. Now, if they're not really sorry, you know, they didn't really, if, yeah, I can tell. You know, from and it's me that, that it's, you have to deal with in that scenario. You know, I, but I give people second, thirds, and fourth chances, and because I just think people inherently do stupid things. And, you know, and uh, you know, and inherently people are good. Let me just tell you a story about this, and you, you don't want to hear. We, we were talking. We we're going to try to keep on task, but I got to tell you this story because when I just said the the. Um, the work ethic equals uh, dreams, explanation point, DDP. People, I believe people are inherently good people, you know, especially if they're talked to the way they need to be talked to. And I talk to people the way I want to be talked to, which I want to be talked to with respect. And uh, the other day I had gone to, on this trip I'm on right now, six days ago, I was flying uh, with my girlfriend, Paige, and yes, that's her real first name. <laughs> I was flying with my girlfriend, Paige, to, the first time I've been on a plane in five months, two or four months because of the COVID, right? And there's nobody online at TSA. So we get right up there. I give the person my ID. I start to walk towards the, uh, the check-in, and some guy goes, hey, excuse me, Bo, you dropped your license. And I turned to, oh, my God, I dropped my license on my pickup, put it in my pocket. I get on, I say, hey, man, thank you. Get on, you know, drive, go all the way to, you know, Concourse D, get on the plane, fly to D.C., get off the plane, go to the restroom, 
You go to the restroom, what do you do now, no matter what? You wash your hands on the way in and the way out. And what had happened is on the way out, I took off my Hall of Fame ring and I stuck it on the uh, counter. And I was drying my hands and someone said, hey, DDP, can I take a picture with you outside? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go outside. And I got derailed. And then I went to my dentist who's in D.C., went to wash my hands and realized I left my ring at the airport. So like, oh, God, no. And I'm breathing and I'm realizing, okay, stupid, you really blew it this time. Now you, you, know, you didn't put everything where it's supposed to be and you're going to pay this time. And I walk in the back of the dentist's office and the girl behind the counter, uh, she says, she goes, oh, she goes, what? I heard you, did you just say you lost your, your whole thing ring? I said, yeah, I left it at the airport. She goes, hold on, let me see if I can find it for you. I'm like, honey, I left it on the counter. It's going to be gone. And she goes, no. She goes, let me find out. She got the number to the airport, to Delta, to the gate. And there was some guy there at the scene. There was nobody at the gate, but there was some guy there. And he starts talking to her and says, oh, you know, some guy said he found a couple of rings in the bathroom and he gave me his number. So she gives her the number to her. And as I'm walking up to her, I go, honey, it's okay. Listen, I, I know it, I know you really think you're going to find him. But, you know, it's, just, it's the way life is. And she goes, here, here's the phone. He's on the phone. I go, who's oh on the phone? The, goes, the, guy, the guy who found your rings. I go, you're kidding me. And she goes, no. I go, I go, oh, man, do you really have my whole favorite? He goes, yeah, I do, man. He goes, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but I didn't know who you were, but I saw the WWE logo and I saw inside work at the Eagles dreams, DDP. So I Googled you and man, you went like, I just <laughs> up the Google feed. And uh, he said, by the way, I'm the guy in TSA who said you dropped your license. No way. Swear to God. Swear to God. I just I he lives in Atlanta. Well, you know where I live. So when I go home, we be I I gotta read this to you. He's um he ends up, I, I, I said, oh, I said, listen, man, and I said, man, you do that yoga stuff. I go, not yoga. It's DDP yoga or DDPY. <laughs> I had to cut him off right there. And uh, he said, man, he goes, you, you, you really had a great second act after wrestling. Oh, thank you, bro. I said, listen, I'm going to set you up with my program. So I send him this thing. Same thing I sent you, okay? And I told him that I told this story to Steve Austin. And when I told Austin this story, he's like, Oh my God! The guy's your guardian angel. Oh my so, God. so I, uh, so I send him how I hook him up with my app and stuff, and he sends back to me. I think that this really is divine intervention. I've been having chronic spine issues slash pain every day since I was twenty years old. I can, it can be extremely discouraging, especially when you can't find people who understand and also when you have to uphold your manly image. Oh my and I said, gosh. I said, dude, I got you. So he, I'm bringing him in this week to <laughs> have dinner. First, we're gonna, first we're, gonna, we're gonna shoot a motivational Monday for oh, yeah. my app. You know? Then we're gonna, do, we're, gonna have, we're gonna work out and then we're gonna have dinner 
at my house. And yeah, the guy's going to become one of my best friends. You know how that works for me. <laughs> but it was just crazy. And work ethic equals dreams is a part of that story. I'm so blown away. <laughs> I got goosebumps. I'm sure all the listeners do. Okay. So based on work ethic, based on dreams, take us from graduation in high school and how in the world did you ever break into the world of professional wrestling? Um, can I tell the story about coming up, uh, you know, from like my reading stuff first? Yeah, please. Yeah. Just, uh, okay. Just, All right. All right. So let me just, but, but by the time I was 30 years old, at 30 years old, I was reading at about a, a third grade level. Um, at 31 though, I made a decision. I was going to learn how to read professionally. I tell everybody, anytime you make a really powerful decision, like, you know, like that, you know, especially when you, you're reading at a third grade level, you know, you got to set a goal. And I said, remember, let me, let me interrupt you for a second. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't because he was stupid. He had a learning disability that's called dyslexia. So I've always kidded Dallas that that was one of the reasons why it was hard for him to be religious growing up because he had a hard time worshiping dog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I didn't know why that had ADD and dyslexia. Nobody knew about that stuff back then. They just thought we were stupid. You know, for me to get the words right, I'd have to re, re, read real, you know, slow. The bottom line is DDP couldn't R-E-A-D, you know? So at 31, for me to set a goal that I'm going to read a book from cover to cover, and I know most people listening to your show, they think, well, that's not a big deal. Well, to me, it was, you know? And I know just like anybody starts my DDP yoga program. And they think I'm going to lose 50 pounds or I'm going to lose 100 pounds or whatever it is. And they start off in those first two weeks, they are gangbusters. And then life gets in the way. And then by that third or fourth week, they probably stopped it completely. And that's why my app with the Motivational Mondays and all the stuff I do keep you engaged. And it makes you write stuff down. I tell people all the time, just don't think it, ink it. If I would have said I was going to read a book from cover to cover, if I don't write it down, I guarantee that I'm going to lose focus. So Mm. I wrote it everywhere. Now, first of all, it wasn't just, I'm going to read a book from cover to cover. I'm going to, that, that's overwhelming. So what do you do when you have you know, goals that are just so overwhelming? You break them down. So I read, I, I said another goal for myself. I'm going to read one page from that book every day. It was Lee Iacocca's first autobiography that he did. And I, I, and I found him fascinating. And, um, So I I set another goal. I'm going to read one page a day. And I put it on those sticky, sticky pads, those little post-its. I put it everywhere. Put it all over my bedroom, put it in my bathroom, put it in my refrigerator. There was 40 places that said read today. So the only person I'm going to be lying to by not doing it is myself. So the bottom line is I really did finish it. And, you know, it felt good to you know, finally read my first book. And sometimes I have to go back and reread those pages. Sometimes I might read two or three pages, go back and reread them. Um, it, you know, I, it started getting me better at reading. And then I re- wrote my first book with my buddy Smokey, which I wrote bits and pieces of it. I But they're all my stories. Um, and uh, positively uh, page. Yeah. And then I was out in LA when, when, when me and you were hanging out and 
I came across a friend of mine. Uh, we got in a surfer, like we wiped out together and, you know, he ended up cutting his leg and we ended up becoming really good friends off of it. And um, he had told me that, you know, we talked about being dyslexic and he told me he was dyslexic and he, and he told me there's a place in LA called the Culver City. It's called Eris Learning Center and it's in Culver City and they teach kids and adults with learning disabilities. So he tells me, you've got to go see Rose. Well, Rose was 80 years old when she worked with him five years ago. Now she's 85. She was still there. Wow. And got to remember, not being able to read, I've got kids to do stuff for me. I've always been able to be that guy. I'll do stuff for you. You do stuff for me. Quid pro quo, you know? Like, <laughs> and that's really where I learned that growing up. But now I wanted to learn myself. This woman, Rose, told me I took home more homework. I go to see her every Monday and Thursday. She just said I took home more homework than anyone has ever in anything she's ever done. <laughs> and I was, I was with her for about six months. And it really helped me improve. And that, then it became repetition you know, more than anything. The you know, more you read, the more, better you get. The more you write, the better you get. My recent book, Positively Unstoppable, I wrote uh, like 80% my words. Now, we have to bring in the other writer to write it so it's grammar proof. I still suck at that. But the words, so it was really, that's the main reason with my book, I didn't do a, um, I didn't do a red, a, a red copy. Like I didn't do a, what do they call it? The voice book. Um, I didn't. You didn't do the, the the test run, so to speak, the blue line. You just wrote, wrote it, right? Yeah, right. I, I didn't do the voiceover part. Oh, and yeah. the reasons why, because they changed my words. in uh, not, not the meaning of the word, but grammatically the meaning of the sentences. So I said, this is too, it'll take me forever to read this thing with passion. And I wasn't just going to say the words. I mean, I could have got away with just saying the words and reading it. But, you know, anytime I speak, I got to speak with passion, especially about something that I live. Absolutely. You know, so, and so, so it's just proof of, and that, that, that segue into where you want to go. <laughs> yeah, it's still, no, it's still proof of work ethic and the significance of dreams. So take us back to, to graduating from high school and just trying to make it on your own in this entrepreneurial free market system. Take us briefly through your journey from, from working the clubs and getting into professional wrestling and then eventually becoming a wrestler. Well, um, when I was young, when I first got out of, when I first got out of high school and stuff, um, I did go to, I did go to college, <laughs> but a college that wasn't accredited at the time, Stockton State, so I could still play basketball <laughs> and not have to have the grades, which is crazy. Um, Things haven't but, changed much now. Most of the guys who are playing professional, you know, seventh grade was their senior year, no matter what their transcripts say. Yeah, right. I believe that. Um, but um, I, I, when I was, I was painting when I was in my four, you know, 14, 15, 16 for, for a guy named Pat Kane. So by the time I was 20 years old, I had pages painters too, you know, and I had a bunch of guys, but <laughs> had a bunch of guys working for me, the guys I grew up with and everything. And yeah, you know, we weren't, the, you know, the seven, the painters that came at seven 30 or eight o'clock in the morning, we were there at the crack at 10, you know, because we probably were out all night. Um, 
But you know, I, I did I did the uh, pages painters, and I was in a nightclub business, you know, and I, and I loved that. And you know, I tried wrestling. Like I said, it didn't work out for me. Um, you know, when I was 23, but then when I came back in, um, you know, into the nightclub business and, and had, had a really big nightclub in Fort Myers, Florida, that's where I started, like, you know, dreaming about maybe getting into wrestling again. But as I thought I was too old to be a wrestler, uh, at 31 years old, I thought I was too old to be a wrestler. So I, uh, I thought maybe I could be a manager. And one night we were all drinking at the club afterwards and someone mentioned something about wrestling. And it was crazy because, you know, at one point, you know, someone mentioned something about wrestling. It just stirred me up. And, you know, I said, yeah, I tried it when I was a kid. And my buddy spoke. He's like, the guy who wrote Positively Unstoppable, uh, Positively Page with me. He's like, what do, you, what do you mean you used to wrestle? What was your name? I said, Handsome Dallas Page. He goes, poof. You can forget about using that gimmick anymore. And everybody laughed and, you know, we kept drinking. And by the end of the night, I'd come up with Diamond Dallas Page. If Jimmy Hart could manage the Hart Foundation, I could manage the Diamond Exchange. I would have the Diamond Dolls walk me to the ring. Now, Grant, I wrote all of this down on a blotter pad that was right in front of me. As I'm, I'm just scribbling. You know, scribble and drinking and doing shots. And, you know, and a week later, they did a, um, a story on The Voice. And The Voice was based on me doing radio commercials because I might do the synthesizer voice, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. Wednesday, Wednesday, you know, you know do it and, and promote the club with different voices. But I'd also throw in maybe, oh, yeah, don't miss it. Hot legs. Yeah, dig it. Dig it. Hot legs. It's Wednesday. And I do Macho Man or Hulk or whatever. And so they didn't know because they'd seen these guys in my club. So they don't know if they're doing the commercials with me or not. So at some point they ask me, they say, where does the voice come from while they're filming me? And I'm sitting at my desk. And Dan, there's a pair of white sunglasses sitting right next to Diamond Dallas Page. And I don't know if I do it or not, if those glasses aren't there, but they are there. And I picked them up and I put them on. And I said, the voice comes from Diamond Dallas Page, daddy. I was born to be a professional wrestler manager. It's big, it's bad, it's Norma Jean's voice. And then I took them off and we kept talking, went on to the next thing. But the point was, it was written there. So I used it. Again, I'm playing, I'm fantasizing, uh, manifesting, you might say. And some guy named Smitty, who had his own radio show, asked me to come on because he heard about it. I go, I don't really do it. He's like, who cares? You're great at it. And it's radio. It doesn't have to be real. So I went and did a couple of shows with him. And uh, he gave me a number to uh, this company that was called the AWA in Midwest. They, they wrestled all through the Midwestern area, like Wisconsin, uh, Chicago, you know, St. Louis, all of those big cities they wrestled in. And he gave me a, you know, a, a number and a address of a guy to send my tape to. So I made up three wrestlers that, that were in my head. And I made up one guy, I called him Big Bad John. 
Another guy called him Rock Hard Rick. And I called him the other guy, Ted E. Bear. He was a midget. And I had the Diamond Dolls, and we put these videos together, and I sent them to the AWA. And two weeks later, they called me. And they were like, we like the tape. We want to bring you in. But we've got one question. No one's ever heard of you guys. Where are you wrestling? And I'm like, well, um, that's the catch. You see, none of those guys can actually wrestle. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> what? What? I go, well, hey, you know, it's, 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 I just was, why would you send us a tape? Well, the bottom line is it's like a secret society trying to find your way into professional wrestling. And, you know, I, those guys could train to be wrestlers. They want to be wrestlers and I could manage, you know, if you needed me to do it until they got ready, somebody else. And basically it was, don't call us, we'll call you. But two weeks later, bro, they called me back. And they wanted, they had a young guy that there, Paul Heyman, who left and left a big hole for a young guy that could talk. And they brought me in. And next thing you know, I'm on ESPN, you know, <laughs> and I'm managing the heavyweight uh, tag team champions of the world. And that's how I got in. And, and people think, oh, man, you're on TV. You're making great money. First three and a half years, it costs me a lot of money to be Diamond Dallas Page. I may have made money. Yeah, 150 bucks here, 150 bucks there. They couldn't buy my boots, you know? So <laughs> I, I was investing in me and, you know, just c continually investing in me. And it looked like it was never going to pay off. And then it did. Because and of your I work got, ethic. Because of your dreams. I, because of your work ethic. Keep going. And I ended up hooking up with a guy named Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, who is one of the biggest living legends, you know, uh, of our business. And he bonded with me. Uh, he took me under his wing. He was a big brother. He was a best friend. He was a mentor. Without Dusty Rhodes, I always tell everybody there would be no Diamond Dallas Page because he guided me from there on. And, um, he brought me into World Championship Wrestling when it looked like it was completely over. Like, you know, the wrestling I've been doing, you know, for the independence and stuff and the AWA, it went away. And they, they just became defunct. And, and Dusty pulled me up and brought me to Atlanta. And uh, he didn't give me anything. He gave me an opportunity. And after five months, because the long blonde hair and leopard skin jackets and the zebra skin boots and the diamonds and the bling and the diamond dolls and the wrap, like they basically said that I was too over the top as a manager for, for professional wrestling. But just think about those words for wrestling being too over the top for wrestling. Like that's an oxymoron in itself. But they, but they didn't mean for being a wrestler. They meant for being a character on the show. And I had seven months left on my contract. And I was like, you know what? Nobody, I never got in this business to be a manager or a color commentator. I wanted to be a wrestler. I had seven months left on my contract. I was 35 and a half years old. I started on my journey in the ring. I had when I told friends of mine like Michael PSAs, he fell down laughing, huh. like laughing belly hard, like 
what? You're going to do what? You know, he'd been wrestling 15 years by then. He thought I was out of my mind. So you and, had to uh, go, you had to take this passion and, and put it, accelerate your preparation and start going to the plant. Talk to us quickly about your experience at the plant, learning your moves. You know, how do you get back up and go again with the end of every single day? It feels like somebody broke your arm off and beat you with it. You know, that's true too, because the bottom line, they beat the hell out of me because they want to set, they want to run you off. Because if you can't handle this wrestling school thing, you sure can't handle our business. And it goes only the toughest of the tough that have that, that work ethic and fortitude and that drive are going to make it. But I can't tell you, Dan, how many times I hit that mat. No people there. There's not 20,000 people. There's no, there's zero adrenaline rush. So when I hit that mat, every square inch of my body hit that mat. And I can't tell you how many times I said to myself, man, this fake stuff hurts like hell. You know, like, do I really want to do this? You know, and every time I always say, you always say when you got two, you know, 260 to 300 pound men jumping off the high rope, you can't fake uh, gravity. That's one of your most famous lines. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, the bottom line is I wanted it more than anybody. So I was the first one there. I was the last one to leave. If I was there, I was in the ring. And I'd go from one ring to another to another. And I would challenge everybody because there were all these there were all these drills that you could do that beat up your body, but were incredible cardiovascular training for you know a match. And it is really anytime you're out there in that ring, you're giving up a piece of your body. Um, but when you build that conditioning, there's nothing like wrestling conditioning because we're constantly moving. We're constantly talking trash. We're constantly, you know, figuring out where we're going to go next and where the people are, what the people are buying. Like a lot of times today, a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's always been semi-choreographed, but it's never been 100% choreographed. It's been more preparation and improvisation, kind of like a comedian. A comedian knows where he's going with his night of stand-up, but he can get derailed at any time. He's got to adjust to that. Exactly. And that, that's what it's like being a wrestler. Okay. And, so, uh, so when you got into the ring, when you finally started to wrestle, teach us on a, on a, take us on a quick journey through your three world championships. Well, God, it took so long to get there, man. You know, uh, it took eight years to get to that spot. And, uh, you know, um, again, it's the, when you, when you carry the world title, it isn't just the wrestling. You are a PR machine. So literally you're, you, you wake up and you're either flying somewhere or you're on some early morning talk show, you know, could be just, could be Tupelo, Mississippi. It could be New York City, you know, uh, and you are constantly, you know, radio, it never stops. Like you are, like, that's the stuff that really wears you out. And by the time you get to the ring, you're, you got to get recharged all over again. And so anybody who's ever had that spot, it's a handful of guys that can handle it. Um, And I've already done a lot of it anyway. So I, I knew that, you know, doing the 
passionate promoting was going to bring people to the arena or what we call putting asses in the seats, you know, and, and that, that's what it's all about. Who's drawing numbers on cable television, you know, living the dream at that you know level, you know, the, the night I, I won the world championship, it was a four way dance and three of the greatest, the biggest names of all time were in there with me. Uh, Sting was in there, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Ric Flair took the diamond cutter right in the middle. And, and I knew that night that that put me a big step closer to being in the hall of fame. And, um, you know, bottom line is, uh, it should just prove that, that the work ethic really did equal the dreams. So how old were you when you first won the world championship? How old were you when you were, when you won your second one and how old when you won your third one? Uh, 43 was the first one. And then, 44 both times and it was more transferring the title from one guy to another but it was just so amazing you know just to have that because it's like an oscar it's not like you know it's predetermined it's wrestling so are the movies they're predetermined <laughs> you know so but you still got to go out there and play a part and understand that before i go out there you need to know that i know that they know and they know that i know and I know that they know that me and my partner know before we walk out there that they know what, that we know what's going to happen. How do you suspend belief now? How yeah, do you, like you say, like when we were working on your speech way back in the day, you said, how do we get people to care about something that they know already is going to happen? Right. And that's the magic. That's the real magic. That's why you can have some of the greatest wrestlers out there technically, but they never really resonate with the people because they're just doing moves. Like, I don't care about you. You know, like I need the reason why people like, like John, John Snyder from Dukes of Hazard back in the day was 40 years ago. But when people see John Snyder today, they connect with him because they, he's been in their home, you know, on and off for decades you know, you know, for, for us, for you've been with me, bro. And I've been out of wrestling actually in the ring stuff for a long time. And you've been with me when I wasn't up for a long time. You see the way people act. It's like, it's, it's like I'm their, 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 their uncle that they love to have a beer with, you know, like, Oh my God, DDP. Oh, you just don't know. Because hey, but let me interrupt you. you, bro. you just You just said something that's not true. And I need to correct you, man. When we're talking about the peas, the passion, the preparation, the pursuit of that passion, you said it's been a long time since you've been out of the ring. No, oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, I blew up the picture you texted me of you jumping off the high rope, off the high rope into the people on the ground at age 64, bro, talk to us about this pursuit of your passion that still will not go away. Well, it's just one time. And, you know, it's. Yeah, it's but still, it was a few you know, weeks ago, one time, man. You're supposed to be on AARP, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It, well, the main reason is because I just talked about Dusty Rhodes. His son, Cody Rhodes, is the guy who is. The reason why there is an AEW, which is all elite wrestling, is the reason why 
TNT, which I was on for eight straight years. Um, TBS, they've been on for 38 years of wrestling. And then wrestling went away from TNT. Cody brought it back. Dusty's son. I've been mentoring Dusty's son since he was 12 years old. And it started in the beginning because it was Dusty's son. And, and, and I wanted to give back. To him, but at some point, it just became about our relationship. And you know, we, you know, I, I, he always says it's about showing up. And both of his state championship titles, I flew back from LA to Georgia solely to watch him win the state championship two years in a row. Wow. So I've always been there for him. And when he, I've actually lost, I've lost my uh, connection with WWE. I wouldn't say they're mad at me because they understand, but they won't let me work with them anymore. Uh, even to do DDP yoga stuff, you know, because, you know, because I, I'm working with the other team, but you know, if I had to, I, there was no way I wasn't going to help Cody. Um, so uh you know, the passion to get out there and do it, what's really great. And have, have I sent you Relentless yet? Have I no. sent that to you yet? All right. No. I'm about to send you our newest documentary. And it's called Relentless. And it starts out with me getting my back blown out because it's a story of how DDP yoga, you know, today I'm branding it more DDP. Why? Why? Because I want people to stop calling it just yoga. And I'm really passionate about that because, again, it's not just yoga. So I don't want people who do yoga to think, oh, he does yoga. Like, eh, yes and no. Yeah. And anybody who's ever done the workout with me, they always go, wow, that's not what I expected. Yeah, so you, you mix yoga moves with physical therapy moves with actual strengthening moves, cardiovascular. Yes, all that. Workout. All that. You know, that's instead that of you just thing. saying you're sending me relentless, tell our tell our listeners how they can find it on your website to actually download relentless and watch the four minute documentary on Arthur. Uh, we're running out of time, bro. Let's just figure out a way to help our listeners really take advantage of your influence and join your tribe. Talk to us just for a second about, about the documentary okay, on, on, on Arthur and how we can get a hold of you. Okay. Let's, let's put relentless to the next time I come on because the resurrection of Jake, the snake, which you know, was when I went in there and took Jake and turned his life around for him. But it wasn't just him. It was also Scott Hall, better known as Razor Ramon. Both of them became Hall of Famers because I helped rehab them mentally, physically, the whole way through. I didn't do the work. They put the work in. But it is one of the most powerful stories you'll ever see. If you go to ddpyoga.com or ddpy and you get the app, you got it for seven days to try it. Yeah. The main reason I want you to try it is because I want you to see that movie, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. It's it's so heartfelt. You saw it. We you tell the them. We were at the premiere together at uh, Sundance Film Festival. And trust me, listeners, it is it will move you regardless if you're a wrestling fan or not. It will transform your life. Because it's not about wrestling. It's about addiction and brotherhood and helping people and you know it's dark because it has to do with addiction but it's also funny it's so funny in some spot it's going to make you laugh it's going to make you cry most of all it's going to inspire you 
to believe it's never too late. Now, when you're on that same site, ddpyoga.com, we talk about Arthur Warman, disabled veteran. The video is the first one. If you scroll, don't go to the top, scroll to the bottom. The first video you see is Arthur. And Arthur's Warman, you've got to go, oh my God, I've seen this. Because it's been seen a half a billion times. So it's super powerful. You know, if you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to ddpy.com or ddpyoga.com and watch that video with Arthur. Sign up for the app. You got it for free for seven days. If for anything, get it just to watch Jake's movie, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. It's right there on the front page. Uh, or you can catch it where it's a DDP TV. Um, it's, it'll definitely make you believe anything's possible. You are so right. Our guest today has been the incredible Diamond Dallas Page, professional wrestler, fitness instructor, motivational speaker, amazing actor, entrepreneur extraordinaire, and truly one of the class character-based human beings on our planet. Thanks, good buddy. I love you. I honor you. I can't wait to hang out off air. And uh, I challenge everyone to listen to the wisdom, re-listen to this podcast, because Diamond Dallas Page proves true how I always close this podcast. Remember, when you finally decide to be a power player, your power play begins in you. Remember, it's about work ethic and dreams. So until next time, on behalf of DDP and myself, quantify your takeaway and go make a power play. Thanks, bro, for being on the show. Hey. I, you've transformed lives, I guarantee, and I can't wait to see you face-to-face, belly-to-belly again, bro. Absolutely. Love you, brother. See you. Thanks, my buddy. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.